0: Welcome to this episode of the New Space India podcast, a show to keep you informed and engaged on India's space activities. My guest today is Wing Commander Rakesh Sharma, who is a former Indian Air Force pilot who flew on the Soyuz T-11 mission in 1984 as a part of the Intercosmos program. He spent seven days, 21 hours and 40 minutes on board the Salute 7 mission, during which he conducted scientific and technical studies, which included 43 experimental sessions. I sat down with him in Uti, where he's retired today to record this conversation. Stars and galaxies and the vastness of outer space kind of attracts all of humankind. So I wanted to know, you know, as the only Indian who, who's experienced in space travel, what does space really mean to you?
1: Well, I think it it, what it means to me is uh, a platform from where you can look back uh, at your own habitat, and I mean planet Earth, and uh, although one really doesn't have to go into space to realize the vastness or the scale on which things are, but when you do actually go up into space, uh, it's a kind of a validation, and uh, you still come back absolutely surprised at at the beauty that is there, even though you've seen it in uh, in two-dimensional photographs and prints. So it is quite uh, an out-of-the-world experience. Technology, of
0: course, has changed a lot from when you were in space and what it is today. Of course, you know the a three-thousand-rupee smartphone today. Uh, is probably carrying a better processor than a rocket that, you know, took you up. And of course, you know, the landscape of human spaceflight itself was also changed quite a lot. From then, a competitive kind of, uh, you know, bipolar world, space travel and so on, uh, to a more cooperative kind of agreement. But with India now, you know, massive changes in technology and AI and machine learning. And there's always a question as to... Should we send a human being up or should we, you know, do a robotic exploration because it costs far less? So I wanted to know, like, what is your take on on this aspect? And if you say, okay, let, let's do human, you know, why?
1: Well, I would uh, say that uh, it's not one or the other. I think you do need both because if you're going to be uh, exploring as yet unvisited areas... Uh, just uh, as a, as a, uh, in order to de-risk that particular activity, it makes sense to utilize all the sensors that are at your command, and if you can control them remotely, it makes sense. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, if you're going to be uh, uh, setting up a habitat, which is the plan today, uh, of first colonizing the moon and perhaps Mars later, and then further on. Uh, I mean, the human being just has to be there. So, uh,
0: so I I believe that you do require both approaches. The Prime Minister in India has announced a uh, uh, human spaceflight program with a mission to send an uh, Indian up by twenty twenty two. I mean, the ISRO has done several experiments and built up several technologies, of course, uh, in preparation of uh, you know this announcement over the last f- decade or so. So, the, but the interesting bit is, bit is. Um, what facilities does india have and what facilities that does india does you know india does not have for this 2022 goal i think the facilities which india already has and which has been amply
1: demonstrated is uh, communication deep space networks as well as uh, uh, the technology to launch uh, satellites into orbit so uh, the infrastructure needed to launch uh, heavy lift vehicles. Uh, today we, with the GSLV Mark III, you have the capability of, uh, uh, putting a human in space and, and he's going to survive there for a few days and you can bring him back. So pieces of these technologies have already been developed and proven. Uh, because we have not yet embarked fully on the human space flight, Program, uh, we did not have the funding to generate uh, infrastructure connected with training of crews, so so that bit will need to be done. I think the rest just will
0: have to be scaled up as we go along. That's an interesting point because um, it, of course, is a, you know kind of a massive investment into building up those ground facilities to train the astronauts, in, and given the timeline of 2022. Do you believe India should cooperate with a second country uh, or multiple other countries in training these crew while they build up the infrastructure? Or, you know, what is what is the road that you would suggest?
1: Yeah, I, I've always been a votary for uh, cooperative ventures. Because uh, uh, it, if you look at, at resource utilization, uh, and I mean from a global standpoint... Uh, the resources of planet Earth are not inexhaustible. And it really does not make sense for every country to keep rediscovering the wheel. So I would be very happy to see some kind of a coming together, of an understanding uh, where uh, countries who are more advanced and are able to work towards a common end, uh, it will be all to the good. So with that as the background, um, yeah, today you've got vendors who, uh, for good money, uh, will uh, train your uh, astronauts. And uh, I think it should, again, be, uh, in order to meet the timeline which you had just mentioned, it'll have to be a two-pronged approach in the sense that you would probably have to send your guys uh, for training abroad at facilities which are already set up of course it's going to be a a, a business arrangement and uh, once they are trained in the basics of how to handle uh, the physiological challenges attendant upon uh, s- uh, space flight in uh, near earth orbit uh, then the crews can return and uh, and train on the uh, craft specific to their flight so it's doable uh, in
0: if if this is the plan which is forward Going to a company, of course, is one approach, but uh, can India think of something more long-term in space cooperation where, let's say, instead of going to a private company or a private vendor, they would go to a government instead and, for example, how uh, Indian astronauts could train with them, their astronauts could fly on Indian rockets. I mean, is that an approach? Anything is possible,
1: provided you can get started and provided, you know, you have a vision. Uh, you articulate it clearly, and uh, if it is uh, uh, accepted, and if it converges with the vision of the partners, yes, it, it is possible.
0: Of course, you're being the only Indian in space, and you know you living here in India. Your experience of going through the whole motions of training and then coming back and so on is very valuable because you're the only one to to have done the entire thing. So, what aspects is transferable today? To the crews that will you know be selected?
1: I think the only only aspect which is transferable is is the personal experience and uh, giving a heads up to those who are now going to be a part of the uh, astronaut corps from our country as to what to expect both during the flight and I think equally importantly uh, how their lives are going to change when they return. and uh, But I would say that uh, yeah, they are going to be a lot more fortunate because uh, by the time they do come back, uh, I'm hoping that there is a, a viable astronaut corps already set up and uh, they can uh, then become career astronauts. Having been exposed to this kind of a technology is going to be very fulfilling for them.
0: I mean, apart from uh, the job that itself goes with it, you know, the whole what would you say is a role of an Indian astronaut, for example? Because India, the approach to space is very much socioeconomic development and development as uh, using space as a tool in development. As a as a bigger role, what is the role that uh, this astronaut core that India would develop would have?
1: It would flow down from. The enunciated policy of the government of India. So, really speaking, till such time uh, we are not very clear of where what the government's policy is going to be in that respect. The job of the astronaut basically is to is to uh, achieve that policy. It's it's the, uh, the results which are going to uh, realize the aims of that policy. I mean, that is the job of the astronaut. So uh, the start point really would be a clear enunciation of national policy uh, of what they intend to do. Uh, if it's only exploration, well, I don't think the it must end there. What are you going to do with with whatever you explore? Uh, if you're going to mine for materials, then how are you going to use those materials? You know, so so there's a whole lot of detail which is as yet unknown.
0: From a larger uh, world standpoint, the International Space Station, the future of the International Space Station is unclear as of yet. Because beyond 2025, the US government has not committed to keep funding the International Space Station. And there are even calls within NASA to privatize the International Space Station. And on the other hand, of course, the Chinese are uh, starting to build their second space station. And they have put out a call with the United Nations for a joint UN-China astronaut program where the Chinese will fly astronauts under this uh, UN cooperation agreement. And then what has happened recently is that the European astronauts have already started training with the Chinese uh, in preparation of some of these. From a more geopolitical standpoint, and how do you see this uh, with the Indian space program? Is there a diplomacy angle to all of this?
1: There can be a diplomacy angle provided you you realize its potential and uh, uh, if I were to elaborate on this, uh, I would say that India has successfully demonstrated uh, the uh, uh, that socio-economic aims of development uh, can be met if you leverage space technology. It has been doing that over the years and I think it's done a remarkable job. Now, if, if in the region you want to, say, uh, ratchet back uh, conflict, thoughts of conflict, areas of conflict, what well, all you need to do is share your uh, expertise in this with your neighboring countries so that uh, it need not, well, the software could be free of cost, but you will still need infrastructure to uh, leverage that software and put it to use for economic development. So it could be a win-win, uh, you know, for both the re- receiving country as well as India, which is, which is sharing its expertise in this area. So when you do that, then you stop being seen as the big brother in the region. And that is the kind of a diplomatic outreach. Now, if we were to extrapolate this thought and take it global, it can still work. But again, uh, the end use, the end result, the end aim has to be agreed to. The problem with the private sector is that yes, Today, the private sector is getting ready because that's where the money is. Uh, Government funding has been over deployed for healthcare and uh, other uh, immediate issues. The problem with the private sector is that they will need to ultimately satisfy their shareholders. So they will obviously whatever money they are going to invest in these ventures, they will expect a return and, and a good enough return to be able to hold their investors quarter on quarter. So, uh, and and that becomes uh, an exclusive rather than an inclusive thing, which is really the essence of business given the way the global economy is run today. And, uh, and I believe that uh, all that will achieve If the private sector, and they will be forced to follow this model, we will only be uh, planting the seeds of conflict in outer space. So, really speaking, we need an overarching vision uh, at a global level where you understand uh, that uh, uh, given the fact that this is the first time Uh, humanity is, is moving out of planet Earth with the sole intent of, uh, setting up a habitation. It's the first time we are doing that. Till up, till up until now we used to explore and return. But now we are going to be setting up shop out there with the aim of mining and taking the resources from there. And, and no single country, in my opinion, has the capability fiscally financially speaking, to do it by themselves. So it makes sense to cooperate, and if governments could cooperate, and then decide that whatever activity humankind does outside of planet Earth, and whatever it gains, if that could be utilized for the greater good of humankind, then we are looking at a totally different de-escalatory model for conflict. So this is what I believe, in other words, if, to give you an analogy, what ISRO has been able to do for India, if India could voice its opinion and garner more votes and at a global level, then this particular consortium at a government level, if they can work in this manner, then, uh, uh, you know, this consortium can do for the world what ISRO has done for India. May sound uh, very idealistic, but aren't we all tired of going around in circles when it comes to human conflict on planet Earth?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And from a kind of a practical perspective, can you provide some detail as to how, for example, let's say space mining. Let's say we have a curated community of governments have decided to do mining together. How would that unfold in terms of deployment of resources to achieve it? And then at the end, once you have achieved that goal, how would you then take that back and distribute it among the involved collaborators? Uh, It's like this. Uh, Tomorrow, if you're
1: going to go to Mars, it's unlikely that uh, three Indian astronauts are going to jet off. You're already seeing... Uh, international cooperation in the International Space Station. Why? Because to set up permanent presence of, uh, man in, in near Earth orbit requires resources to maintain that station. Although we are using it for research and limited manufacturing. But this is how, so, in other words, cooperative ventures are already present. Similarly, when cooperative ventures are, have, will be there, ...to go all the way up to Mars... ...then obviously... uh, ...what you mine in Mars... ...will naturally be shared... ...amongst the constituents of... ...those uh, of the crew... ...from whichever nationalities that are there. But if it were... a ...United Nations... ...kind of a consortium... ...then obviously what comes back... ...may can probably get translated into utility items which today are not available to the dispossessed or the underdeveloped part of the world. And that can be made available to them. But the first there has to be agreement that we, it is worthwhile working towards that end. So you have to look beyond the boardroom, beyond business as we today run it and you have to look at this as a de-escalatory initiative. And everybody has to buy into that. If I were to give you, Africa supposed to be the cradle of our civilization, uh, human civilization. They have a concept called Ubuntu. I am because we are, which is another way of articulating uh, the world is a family. So, if we can reach there, then this is how, this could be the first manifestation of that philosophy. Is it really workable? The Association of Space Explorers is pushing uh, the EO project, that is the Dear Earth Object Project, where, wherein the entire planet Earth is uh, endangered by the prospect of an asteroid hit because then it could destroy uh, civilization as we know it. And our genome, we have no backup also of our genome. So now to prevent that happening, in other words, to come up with a solution that uh, we secure our future, the Association of Space Explorers is moving through the United Nations to come up with interventions so that you can cooperate detect and then push an asteroid off the collision path now to do that again it's not going to be cheap to be able to do that countries will cooperate because every country is at risk equally at risk so if you're going to it's like paying an insurance To secure your future. Why can't we. Pay a similar kind of insurance.
0: To secure our present. Live a life.
1: Free of conflict.
0: When you look at recent trends. uh, Especially. From the leader of space. For example in the US. A lot of it. uh, The narrative has been changing. Too much from going from. Public sector driven exploration. To private sector driven exploration. There's even. Now, a plan for commercial crews and so on. So, and then of course, there are these big guns of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos funding their own space programs, if you can say that, and trying to colonize Mars or, you know, trying to commercialize space tourism. And these are fundamentally a shift in how we've been exploring space. I mean, what are your views on that? You know, uh,
1: Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. They're not doing this for the greater good of humanity. They're doing it for their individual companies. They're looking at it as a business opportunity. So so you should be able to read my answer. I'm I'm not saying that it's wrong. All I'm trying to say is that it is inevitable because government, indeed, funding is drying up for this kind of a thing. And uh, if only we could prevail upon them you know we in fact today we have people like warren buffett gates these are billionaires who have begun to give back to society now if that kind of a, a situation were to were to be understood and empathized with and if all these people could come on board in the manner which we were discussing I think uh, it is the end result, the
0: end use, which is more important. From uh, the standpoint of India, again, a lot of uh, space so far has not been utilized so much for the soft power perspective. So, for example, I would look at uh, the mission to Moon, Mangalyan. Uh, not much of as a science mission, but more as a technology demonstration, and also in a sense that it is a soft power projection. A mission which says okay, India is capable of flying something to the to Mars and achieve it in the first attempt, like any other country which hasn't done so. So, so from again from a soft power perspective, do you think that by choosing the first Indian womanonaut as they call it as a, as a female astronaut, is there a larger messaging that India can send out from one both internally? Uh, from a perspective of women empowerment, and the other is also in terms of uh, gender ratio and things like that.
1: I think uh, gender has nothing to do when you are uh, dealing with uh, cutting-edge technologies. And uh, this is all, uh, uh, I think it's a creation of the media uh, where you are trying to link it up to women empowerment and all you know, these are areas where uh, the uh, requirements are very exacting and whoever meets it is fit enough. That's it. And that's how it should be. So, so let's leave that bit out of it. As far as projection of soft power, my understanding of soft power is is different from the way you have articulated it, where you have said that going to uh, to the moon and demonstrating your capability to do so is is uh, demonstrating soft power. Well, I think it's more demonstrating your scientific uh, um, reach uh, than anything else. Demonstration of soft power is what we discussed a bit earlier. Why, if you, if India starts sharing its uh, software from the Indian remote sensing satellite so uh, for the region, and starts giving it to the neighbors, free of cost. And then in concert with the neighboring countries, setting up the infrastructure to extract intelligence from that software for the development of those countries. Now that is a diplomatic soft power outreach. And I'm very confident that if there is anybody who can start this kind of a wave, it could be India, because India has reached the Far East with its soft power. Whether you could talk about it like Buddhism, where all it has gone, that is all soft power. It has never been overt uh, show of armaments and things, and you know, you are not know, waged war. So so I think, again, this is a very great opportunity. And Israel has always done this in its own way. It has not followed anybody else's example, and I hope is- Israel continues to stay the course
0: and do its own Indian thing. What is your perspective of um, Earth, in a sense, where there's many people, of course, who have now said, let's go to space because that's the future and so on. And then there's, of course, there's a group of people who say, you know, we don't want to be doing all of that because there's a bunch of people who who will forget Earth or it'll, it'll only be accessible to the rich because the poor can never take to space. And so in that sense... There's also people who talk about climate change and why we would need to invest more into climate change and, uh, and, you know, focus on getting Earth right first before going into space. So uh, there are, of course, all these mixed opinions in the community. And so what would you be your standpoint? Well, I I believe that we are living in times
1: where uh, things are changing so fast. You know, Alvin Toffler once said that uh, it's not so much change per se which is going to influence future societies. It's going to be the rate of change. And we are experiencing those times now. The rate of change is phenomenal. So if you're going to be uh, starting initiatives which are sequential You will be leaving yourselves way behind. You'll be overtaken by circumstances. So while it is necessary to fix the broken systems on planet Earth, parallelly, we will need to secure our future by continuing exploration in outer space. And while doing that, if we can set a, give it a new purpose, a new direction, then once again,
0: we will be securing
1: uh, present back on Earth.
0: So that's interesting because uh, when you look at the Indian roadmap at the moment, 2022 is, of course, the first astronaut you know set to go up. But what should be the policymaker standpoint in India from your perspective, from a long-term perspective? So what should we be achieving, let's say, by 2030 or 2040 and then 2050?
1: I think we, basically, uh, we need to demonstrate that we are a player in this game and I think we have uh, already made a dent in that and uh, then from here on it would depend on how you are able to influence the opinion of players who are already on the high table and who are going to make international space policy going forward. So I would expect India to occupy its place on that high table and be able to influence uh, the policy uh, in future. Otherwise, like I had said, we will only be exporting conflict into outer space. So, uh, what uh, and India's perspective has always been conciliatory, cooperative, you know, Ubuntu and Vasudeva Kututmakam. And if that can be projected and some consensus arrived at I would like to see India play that role
0: and I hope they do but for that they they'll need to articulate their vision first yeah but let's say from a personal standpoint I mean what would you as a person for example would like to see India achieve by let's like, say 2030, 40 and 50
1: yeah so you you got to have a, an astronaut core which is future ready you, you've got to keep up scaling your technology so that when called upon, you can be a major contributor to international cooperative efforts for exploration, perhaps uh, manufacturing, perhaps capturing an asteroid and uh, taking the resources and bringing it back on earth from becoming a player in, uh, in fixing the problems which are there on earth energy, for example, helium or solar pointed
0: from space. So, so we can become a big player in this kind of a thing, in a recent development, of course, uh, the U.S. Uh, declared a space force as the sixth arm of the U.S. Uh, military, and I'm not sure if any other other militaries will also follow suit. But how do you see this whole emergence of space force, and uh, you know, do you see this as something that the others will follow, or you know, if India will follow?
1: Well, it's it's an escalatory move. Uh, On the one hand, we are trying to reduce nukes, and on the other, we are building up a shield in space. So so I I don't really know. In in my opinion, essentially, it's opening up another business vertical.
0: From a standpoint of India-China, because these are two big emerging countries... And, uh, you know, the growth story is often talked about. This is the century of Asia and it's the century of India and China together. And so, but then there has never been a long term cooperation between India and China in space. You know, given that uh, this whole, you know, what should be, you know, the policymaker standpoint, for example, or where could we start uh, in cooperation or should we be starting, you know, space cooperation with China? Yeah, why not? Going back again to the realm of science outreach. Science outreach is again one of the major challenges that India has. So there's of course, you know, a lot of positive that the space program brings to the whole uh, outreach of science and science communication. So from a perspective of taking the, the knowledge that is captured in the space program and reaching out to the science, you know, the purposes of science communication, what have we been doing right? And what have we been doing wrong?
1: Well, what we've been doing right, I think, is the fact that uh, ISRO has got a pretty good outreach program, and uh, they're doing that. And, you know, the planetaria, which are dotted all over the country, they are uh, pulling in a lot of students. And, uh, and of course, uh, but you really need a compelling visual, and that is provided by something like space flight. That is when space flight actually comes into your drawing rooms, and it has the ability to reach and touch a lot of viewers. So I think uh, <laughs> the, that is what is going to happen when, when India uh, starts sending its own people. It's, it's, it's going to fire the imagination of the of the next generation. Uh, And and that should be, again, all to the good.
0: The thing is, uh, with uh, science and technology, of course, there has been several books, for example, written on uh, how a particular moment in time can spark off a massive change in how we would approach science and technology. So the two things that I can remember of is a book called uh, Sputnik in itself. So, which then you know massively increased the the spending in education by the U.S. and it then uh, created a lot of benefits that are, that reverberates even today. And then they are, the second one, of course, is the Apollo moment, that- uh, the Apollo moment, mm-hmm. right? When John F. Kennedy goes and then mm-hmm. announces and then the people then stepping on them. Is that something that is missing in India an Apollo moment or a Sputnik moment?
1: Well, India's Apollo moment was probably PM speech from the Red Fort where he's announced that yes uh, you know uh, so, so so that is India's Apula moment as to how it's going to go from here, as uh, anybody's guess like I said in the absence of a white paper or a vision document or what would India want to do after bringing up this astronaut core are we going to only keep sticking to exploration are we going to go it alone are we going to there are so many details which are as yet unknown, which are in the realm of policy. And I think we'll have to
0: wait till uh, those details are articulated. I'd like to end this, uh, you know, in by asking you kind of a personal question. If you would, you know, choose to fly to Mars with somebody, who would be your companions? <laughs> who would be my companions? Well, obviously, they'll have to be a
1: doctor on board. You know? <laughs> and... Uh, That would be one. (laughs) Entertainment today is available digitally, so there's no problem. And uh, uh, you will probably need a philosopher, saint who comes with you, who keeps correcting your perspective. Uh, And of course, your family, if you can manage that, because that's where it is at.
0: Thank you very much for uh, giving uh, me time today and um, I hope that uh, India has a very bright future in space and we all can continue contributing to all of that. Thank you very much for your time. You are most welcome. Thank you for staying until the end. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to curator at newspaceindia.com. Please use the link in the description if you want to join the New Space India community. And have a great day or a lovely evening, depending on wherever you're listening from.